0: Guy here with a quick message before we get on with the pod. As a thank you to our most dedicated and loyal viewers and listeners to Blood Red, we're inviting you to join our Blood Red Club. By joining, you'll get access to insider transfer content, as well as interviews with former favourites and those connected at Anfield. All you need to do is head to bloodredpodcast.co.uk, enter your email address, and our exclusive content will head to your inbox. That's bloodredpodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Now on with the show. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. There was devastation for Spain last night as they lost an incredible game to Italy on penalties in the first Euro 2020 semi-final. But the performance of Barcelona's brilliant young midfielder Pedri shows that the future is bright for Spanish football. But what about the 18-year-old's club side? You don't need me to tell you that the last time Liverpool came across Barcelona was back on May 7th, 2019, when Jurgen Klopp's team produced one of the great comebacks to win 4-0 at Anfield and book their place in the Champions League final, which of course they went on to win. That defeat shook Barca to their core, but as we'll learn on this special podcast, as seismic as that result was, the club's decline had set in long before then, and has certainly accelerated since. Samuel Marsden reports on Barcelona 3 SPN and Diario Sport and I picked up the phone to him for the first time since before the miracle of Anfield to find out exactly how bad things have got at Camp Nou. The answer, as you'll soon discover, is very bad indeed. We talk about Lionel Messi and whether Barca will be able to sign the world's greatest player to another contract or be forced to let him leave on a free. We also talk about whether the reports are true that Barca would really accept a 120 million pound loss on Philippe Coutinho, the decision to sell Luis Suarez to Atletico Madrid last summer, and why Genie Wijnaldum didn't become the latest Liverpool player to join Barca this summer. Watching Pedri last night makes you wonder whether losing out on album to PSG will be such a big deal. But given the stark financial situation at Barca, will they be able to keep hold of Pedri, who has been linked with Liverpool? Sam answers that and gives a great insight into many more subjects I hope you find interesting. Enjoy the podcast.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well,
1: hi Sam. We're recording this podcast on uh, Monday, July the fifth, and later today here in the UK, we're expecting to be told that all the restrictions will be lifted, come July nineteenth, which is good news as as things seem to be getting back to normal. So, how things been for you in Barcelona and and in Spain?
0: Yeah, I think we're slightly. Um, I don't want to say ahead, but we're, we've been um, we've had a little bit more freedom over the over the last few months. There was a there was a sort of a different approach. Really, things stayed open, but we had a curfew at. 10 p.m so that was sort of through the winter months people were kept in at night time I guess you know given that they decided that you know bars and stuff was, was where it was mostly spreading I guess or well, that was the theory to keep people in at night um, but that's I think that was May now or there was a time I think I can't remember if it was May or the beginning of June but they, they dropped that curfew which meant that you know the restaurants could open again at night time and at the midnight when um the curfew dropped it was actually like New Year's Eve I was just at home I forgot that the curfew and stuff was ending um, but at midnight, people were, like, cheering. There might even have been a firework and, like, out on the balconies and stuff and celebrating. I think one guy was even shouting, like, Happy New Year. So <laughs> since then, sort of the end of May, June, the restrictions have been... Well, there have not really been any restrictions. Things are opening up. They've had they've had a music festival here this weekend, which was, you know, you needed a PCR test to go to that and stuff. But things, things are open, yeah, in terms of restaurants, cafes, bars, culture, obviously with restrictions. But you, you don't feel like it's... Um, no, it feels very, very very sort of normal I guess compared to compared to how it has been over the last 18 months.
1: That's great to hear because the last time we spoke was probably around I think probably more than two years ago now it was definitely before coronavirus existed or it was certainly people's uh, in mind, I think it was before the 2018-19 Champions League semi-finals between Liverpool and Barcelona we we all know what happened there, certainly our our listeners and I'm, I'm sorry to do this but I'm going to take you back to that night of the second leg and made a seventh for Anfield and it, it was one of the great comebacks in football history, certainly given the nature of the opposition Barcelona uh, and the three goal lead that they had from the first leg I know Liverpool fans are, have joked since that night. It was a bit of a night that that broke Barca and I think famously Sergio Busquets hasn't tweeted since uh, since really. Did it have a seismic impact on the club?
0: It was a well, yeah, obviously it was a big one. I think if they if they get through that tie, I think they probably they probably have won the final. I think against Tottenham. I think they probably have won the Copa del Rey final as well. It was kind of that seismic that. You know, going into that game, they were. I mean, it's easily forgotten because they were they were so beaten, and we talk about humiliation and stuff. But going into that game, they just won the league. They obviously they were three nil up in the Champions League semi final, and they had a Copa del Rey final to come. But then, then, then what happened happened at Anfield, and obviously they were out of the Champions League. And then in the Copa del Rey final, they just couldn't really pick themselves up for that, and they lost to Valencia, which was a big surprise. So it was a, it was a big effect. I think it's hard to. I mean, so much has gone wrong at Barcelona and off the pitch over the last five, six years, it's impossible to say that was the one, but, you know, I mean, I guess the culmination point was probably the buy in 8-2, but there was also the Roma one before before Liverpool, so so they're all three big results that have contributed to, to, well, contributed towards, to Messi coming out and speaking out last summer and wanting to leave and to the eventual changes, they were obviously all had an impact in Valverde eventually leaving the club last January before coronavirus and then in the eventual resignation of Jose Mourinho Bartomeu, but no, it'd probably be a bit too strong to pin it all on on that one result, but that's certainly one of probably you know, sort of ten, fifteen big sort of factors that sort of contributed to to where we find Barca today, which is in in a, in a real mess, really.
1: Let's stay on that point. We'll come to that Bayern Munich game. We'll come to Lionel Messi, obviously. Since that Liverpool game and since the, the season after, there's there's a new manager in charge of Ronald Koeman. It looks like he's certainly going to stay for a second season. You mentioned there's been a change of Presidents. Joanne Laporte's back. Uh, and, and again, we'll do positives on this podcast. Some of the young players coming through, but you, you've said the club's in a mess there. I was reading one of your pieces this morning that the debt's close to 1.2 billion euros. Is How's the mood around the club at the moment?
0: It's funny, yeah, because there's that. Um, so if we go back to March, when Joanne Laporta was first appointed, there was kind of that nostalgia and optimism um, for people that maybe don't know Joanne Laporta or know so much about him. He was the, the president between 2003 and 2010. So he was sort of the president that oversaw those early messy years that, that backed Pep Guardiola and perhaps other people wouldn't have. And, you know, oversaw Barca's sort of evolution, I guess, into, into the Barca we know today. Because prior to then, Barca had only won one European Cup. They weren't Perhaps you know, considered. I mean, football was a different era then, but they weren't the barter that you know that everyone considers these days because of what happened in that that first Laporta era. So, with him coming back provoked that sort of nostalgia. And as a person, as a character, he's much more much more likable than than the previous president Bartomeu. You know, he's a he's got a history for being you know a bit of a party man. You know, there are photos of him on like uh, on like yachts and stuff, sipping sipping champagne and little things like that. And even even though that's something that's out of, I guess that's I was out of reach of you know the the regular fan when all are on yachts and drinking champagne and stuff but the way he goes about it and the way he does it is there's an air of you know he's still sort of like he's like your, your neighbor or something like that it's not like he's like this rich person living this life it's like he's just enjoying himself and that's what that's what anyone do in that situation and the celebrations when he returned to the presidency and stuff really provoke some sort of you know optimism and stuff at that point of the season they were they were 4-1 down to PSG but he was sort of like screaming now let's go to Paris and turn it around and all these different things and they were on a good run in the league so so there was sort of a feeling that the the club were moving in the right direction Laporta was back which is obviously big for Messi due to their relationship um there were young players coming through like you say so there were lots of reasons for for optimism but we've come to the summer now and they they imploded a little bit in the league they did win the cup they obviously didn't come back in paris and and reality has bitten a little bit this summer in terms of the, the club's financial position i think it's worse i mean we knew it was bad but i think laporte is now realizing just how bad it is as he tries to to make all the numbers fit to to get messi to renew and that's the, that's the main mess that's left now really before there was an institutional mess in terms of you know the board the relationship between the board and the players bartomeu and whatnot at least now what they have is they have a president who is liked by the players they have you know everyone within the club at the moment at least is is pulling in the same direction but the the black and white of the situation is they're in a real 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 dark hole in terms of their their financial position and that's why we're seeing them terminating contracts of players they're they're desperate to they're desperate to get rid of players big earners especially but it's just really hard for them for for two reasons the first reason obviously is because the the coronavirus pandemic market if you like doesn't allow for clubs to to pay big transfer fees even though we obviously see perhaps slight anomalies in in the Premier League but <laughs> in terms of other European clubs it's not a lot of money and obviously people are players are having to accept huge wage uh, less wages so you know players like Felipe Coutinho, Miralam Pjanic um, Antoine Griezmann, Nusmane Dambelli, Samuel Mtiti, these guys all signed or the majority of them all signed contracts pre pre-Covid when when Barca was sort of spending as if as if they were never going to run out of money. And now there's no one who will probably pay even sort of half what they're currently on. So it's just really, really hard for them to get rid of, rid of players. As you say, the debt prior to, I mean, the, from the last official figures we had was 1.2 billion. Uh, that's gross debt. So that's not their net debt. Obviously that includes sort of money they owe on, on signings or whatnot, but they would also be owed for for some sales. Um, since then, the first thing laporte's has done is secured a, uh, a 525 million loan um and people say oh well that's just more debt but what that obviously does is you know it covers some of that debt and delays how long they it doesn't it replaces the existing debt but they pay it back over a longer Mm -hmm. length of time in in theory so it's it's a good thing rather than adding to a more debt thing but they're still in in a real pickle and they're really struggling to to cut the wage bill so that they can register Lionel messi's new contract
1: it's crazy. Maybe it's just how good Euro 2020 has been, but like the greatest player in the world, arguably the greatest player ever is actually a free agent for the first time in his career, or certainly since he he signed professionally for Barcelona. Of course, Barcelona have got to sign him up, but given the information you've just given me and the listeners then, can they afford him? You know, I think his last contract was worth 500 million euros. Can they afford to pay that kind of figure again?
0: Yeah, I mean, the figures will not be the same, I guess, if you look back when Lionel Messi signed that last deal, he would have been, I think he agreed it when he was 29 and signed it when he was 30. So, you know, is that sort of, I mean, it's still, I guess, I guess when players come to 29, 30, they're sort of a minute already about giving them long-term deals, but I think Messi was an exceptional case, he was still the best player in the world at the time, so I think... The situation is different this time, you know, he's he's 34 now, he's got, you know, maybe, I mean, you don't know, you see Ronaldo and they keep going, Messi's not showed any signs of, of slowing up, but there's talk of, you know, like a two-year deal with an option for a third, you're looking at, you know, the reality is, you know, by the time Messi's 36, 37, he's not going to be, you know, the, the best player in the world or the or the explosive player that he's been, I mean, that's obviously been changing throughout his career, he's taken on several different sort of roles so I think there's an acceptance from Messi even that he's um, not going to have that that big a deal, and a large part of that deal as well wasn't so much his annual wage; it was to do with with signing on fees and stuff. And a lot of that was to do with you know the, the relationship with Bartomeu wasn't good, mm-hmm. and they were sort of twisting his arm. And there wasn't so much an understanding that there is with with Laporta. So I mean, Laporta's spoken about this a lot. He said, you know, how Messi's made a big effort to. To sort of come to an agreement and there is a loose agreement but there's just complications like like I've explained in terms of fitting the salary in with the uh, with the La Liga cap which which the league have have in place here in Spain um Barca have looked at certain workarounds but it's not clear whether they they would be able to do them so there was one mention that maybe they could give him like you know like a five or a ten year deal and he'd have the option to go and play in in major league soccer which he said he'd like to do Miami's the obvious option and that they would continue paying him as an ambassador there but there's some <laughs> sort of you know Work, that maybe La Liga wouldn't allow this or that someone's going to come down on it because technically it would be I guess breaching the it's a way of breaching the the financial you know fair play rules yeah. within the Liga if you're paying someone when they're when they're not there so there are things to work out with that and with the tax office as well obviously Messi's already been in pro- had problems with the tax office here he's got a suspended sentence so if there's any sort of problems or or irregularities with the way they pay him when he goes to the United States or or beyond his Barcelona career as a player there's could be you know problems for the club or for Messi there. So it's just just really really complicated to work out the the impression and the the suggestion from the club and from the Messi camp is that there will not be any problems. But what we're seeing now, I think they didn't realise how hard it would be to get rid of players, how hard it would be to maybe sort of fit within that La Liga salary cap. I think maybe they thought they would get more of a grace period, sort of you know based on coronavirus. But La Liga are being very firm that you know the, these are the rules; these are what you have to comply with. So. So there is a little bit of little bit of concern right now that that maybe things can't quite fall into place. But the overriding feeling is still that eventually Messi will get this this contract signed, and obviously the sooner the better. Because like you say, he's a free agent, and that's risky for it's risky for Barcelona because anyone could sign him. Technically, they could come in and, and sign him if he if he starts to have doubts or change his mind, uh, which doesn't seem to happen. But it's a risk for Barcelona. And obviously, it's a risk for Messi as well because he's playing in the Copa America. He could play this week's semi-final against Colombia or the final against Brazil, he could get injured and be out for mm-hmm. six months or, or a year. I mean, he's never been, not shown a history of injuries in his career in terms of, you know, long-term injuries, not since those early years when he first broke into the team. But, you know, it is a risk going into the semi-final against Colombia or against Brazil and, you know, what happens if, if he were to get injured for, you know, three, six months, a year in, in the worst-case scenario.
1: Twelve months ago, it, it, it seemed like he was definitely going to, leave the club, you know, he did have a year left on his contract and it seemed to be Manchester City with the, the the club leading the race for him and obviously his history with Pep Guardiola, what the pair of them did with the Xavi and the Esther and all the greater at Barcelona earlier in the, in the century. How close do you think he, he was to actually leaving Barcelona?
0: It's a good question. I think he was close. I mean, reflectively, some people say now, oh, he was never going to leave. It was just a ploy on getting rid of Bartomeu I don't think that was true I don't think he would have taken it that far if it was just uh just a ploy you know he was you know to send the Burifax and to speak out and to say that he wanted to go and to try and agitate for this clause which he felt was possible to leave for free um I guess if he really really wanted to go maybe he could have taken it further he said he wasn't going to get the lawyers involved because he didn't want to do damage but from everything that happened at the time, I think everyone could see that he was very, very close, very very close to leaving. um obviously Manchester City didn't sort of comment or speak out on it because because of their Cat- Catalan connections, you know Guardiola and the the backroom team there the the impression is that you know fed Soriano and and Chiqui Bayistan that they didn't want to be seen as you know the bad guys coming back to Barcelona and swooping and And signing Messi if they were going to I mean I think Guardiola's always said it with relation to Barcelona players that he would you know never take them but you know if they became available for free or in certain situations he would and maybe if City had done a bit more maybe they could have got it done I mean they never made a bid or anything for example whether that would have tested Barca I mean obviously paying for Messi and paying his wages maybe they couldn't afford to do that maybe we'll find out more in the the full details later but I think he was he was very close and if City had agitated more maybe they could have could have got a fee for him the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo
1: if he stays which you still expect him to barcelona are definitely going to have to trim that wage bill and definitely get the debt down again this summer uh, and they'll be needing to cut costs and if they can as you've rightly mentioned there it's, it's a very different transfer market this summer philip coutinho as you've already mentioned is one player they they will be looking to sacrifice here, i imagine
0: yeah, Felipe Coutinho. The key is offering him to clubs. Um, one option on the table is AC Milan. It would just have to be a loan because I don't think anyone's going to pay for Coutinho. It'd have to be you know, a one or a two year loan, then covering as much as the wages as possible. Um, Milan are obviously back in the Champions League next season, so they need to. They've got sort of you know a, an element of you know needing to sign some players to take them to the next level, to keep them into the Champions League, to do well in the Champions League. And Coutinho seems to make sense there. They obviously lost, I don't want to say his name because I'll, I'll butcher it, but the Turkish attacking midfielder, Hakan. Yeah. I won't say his surname because yeah. I'm not very good at it. I know no one. He's gone to Inter Milan on a free transfer, so they, they need to replace him. Um, apparently, there are some other clubs interested in, in Coutinho. I'm not sure who. Milan's the only one who have had confirmed. And it, and it kind of makes sense. Coutinho's contract with Barca runs until twenty twenty three though, so if it was a one year loan, obviously he's coming back and you know, he's only got a year on his deal. Not that there's much of a market for him anyway. I mean the ideal situation for Barca would be for him to go on a one year loan with an option to buy, but for him to extend his contract with Barca until twenty twenty four just to give him that protection over any possible fee if, if Milan don't take it up and also to maybe get him to agree to reduce his wages a little bit in in exchange for that that
1: sort of security policy of an extra year. We talked about Coutinho on the last podcast we did uh, before that Champions League semi-final with Liverpool and for him, maybe more than any other Barcelona player at Anfield in the second, like, it was a real chasing experience. He then went on to Bayern Munich the following season on loan. He won the Champions League there and crazily scored two goals in that semi-final that, that you referenced earlier, that Bayern won 8 2 uh, before he returned to Barcelona to start last season under Ronald Koeman. But, but again, it was more troubles last season, wasn't it? What happened with him?
0: Yeah, it just doesn't, it's just, it's just an interesting case study in Nicotino in terms of confidence and feeling loved and, and certain situations. And then once you lose that sort of rhythm and that, that belief in yourself, how it can, how it can affect you long term. Last season, he was a little bit unlucky, really. Kuhlman sort of, you know, really went out of his way to back him. He sort of phoned him and said, You're part of my plans. The first few weeks of the season, he was he was playing every week there was he was playing okay like individually but he just the just the feeling that he just didn't quite fit in the Barca style he's just a little bit too long on the ball or the wrong decisions or or certain things i don't know if that's just Coutinho's playing style or if it is the confidence thing we mentioned but he was doing okay um he got injured and was out for a month and that sort of disrupted him and he came back and was in and out of the team and then around december he got injured again and he, he didn't play again all season because of that injury so so last season was more to do with injuries than to do with you know Coutinho's form or more performances. Just just really bad luck. But then that also makes it more difficult to to do, do business on him this summer because you know he's not played for six months now. How's his knee going to be when he comes back? Is he gonna is he going to be affected by that long term certain little certain little sort of curiosities about that? So yeah, I mean it's been a been a tough time for for Coutinho. I feel feel sorry for him in some ways. I also feel I don't think the Bayern Munich. Um, loan was the the rip roaring success no. that, that sort of they try and make it out to be here in Barca like we want the Coutinho of Bayern but I think he was very very similar at Bayern if you if you look he had some he did have some good performances you know he scored you know hat tricks and sort of big wins in the league and obviously he came off the bench to to score against against Barca once the game was effectively over to score sort of you know two late goals and sort of make the make it a, more of a mockery given he was on loan but I think at Bayern he was sort of in and out of the team he wasn't you know. A regular starter. He didn't obviously start in that Champions League final or the semi or quarter final, and uh, maybe he started the semi final. I can't remember because there was an injury, but he didn't start against Barca or the final. And um, yeah, so I think that a little bit more of that was made. I don't know, don't know why that was, but yeah, it's not been not been good for 160 million, whichever way, whichever way you come at it.
1: How was he received back in Barcelona after those goals from him, you right? You rightly say there the the game was dead by that stage anyway, but if just even he even he looked sheepish, didn't he? he Scoring two goals against his parent's club in a, a Champions League semi-final.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say he was I wouldn't say it affected him returning for the club. It wasn't held against him. Um he wasn't welcomed back, but just because there wasn't like an excitement about him because of his first spell. Uh he was just kind of accepted back. There was I mean if you go back to his final season at Barca, you know, in that in that uh, Manchester United Champions League game when he scored scored a scored a really good goal and he did the sort of closing his ears celebration to the fans and, and things like that. I mean, that was because fans have been booing him and getting on his back, but there was none of that this season. Maybe there would have been if he'd have stayed for the whole season and not mm. been not been injured. But um, yeah, he just sort of came back and, and it was just accepted. There was no talk. I mean, they, they probably didn't want to talk about the, <laughs> the buying game, so they didn't want to hold it against him because they were just, just ignoring that it ever happened.
1: Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's had a tough time there, and as you rightly said, there considering how much they paid for him, it's, it's just not worked out. But in your, feel, in your gut feeling, if if, if he leaves this summer, which we imagine he will, it'll be a, a season long loan, maybe a, a couple of year loan, because I know he's he's always linked in the English gossip columns. I think Everton, given Rafa Benitez has just gone there now, and then Arsenal yeah, have been I linked think- as well. But they're talking about twenty one million. Would would if someone came with twenty one million? This summer would, would Barcelona accept, or would they try and hold out for more?
0: Do you know, I don't know how it works with the accounting because obviously they pay the amortisation and stuff yes, yeah. over a certain number of years, and I don't know how it works with losses. Um, but in theory, I, I, I don't, I, they probably would accept twenty-one 20 million euros. I'd have to be, be have a better grip on the numbers to know how much that would sort of account for losses. But when they're talking about terminating the contracts of Samuel Mtiti and Mirlam Pjanic um that shows how desperate they are to reduce the wage bill and I guess they take those losses but you get Coutinho's wage off the off the wage bill maybe maybe it could work um but yeah I mean I don't, I don't think Barca are in any position to to negotiate with clubs if clubs come and say 21 million I think the the thing with Barca at the moment is I think they're a bit of uh, I don't want to say laughing stock, but some I think clubs know know the position they're in. I spoke to you know various people connected to some of the players that Barça are trying to move on, and some sort of stories that come out, which are perhaps coming from Barça to try and generate interest. And the general the general reaction is they just reply with you know laughing emojis or ha ha ha, and they're just like the club is so desperate um, around the Junior FERPO deal to to Leeds, for example. Like they just they just had to sort of. I mean, they've done well to get what they got for Junior because. If, I mean, if the final figure is going to be reported as as 15 million euros, they've done well to get that because you know they could easily have sort of Leeds could have probably driven them down a bit more. Um, as I understand it, there, there won't be much money up front, but um, even so, that's still a good good uh, a good amount of money to to come in or to have on the books. So, no, Bars are in no position to negotiate neither with with clubs that want their players nor with the players whose whose wages they're trying to trying to reduce.
1: So it looks like the sales will continue for Barcelona this summer. And, and one person who went last summer was Luis Suarez, who's obviously very well known to Liverpool fans. Uh, the decision looks foolish now, given what he did for Atletico Madrid last season. Or or was it the right one at the time? I know he was clearly inspired to, to go out and show that he was still a world-class striker, but how, how's the feeling about the, the sale of Suarez 12 months on? Yeah,
0: I think it's mixed, although I think the majority of people close to Barcelona, supporters, press here still think it was the right decision. But the problem was how completely mishandled it was, how Bartomeu handled it, how they they sort of said they were going to give him away and then sort of backtrack when they realised he was going to go to Atletico Madrid because they had this list of clubs who they considered rivals and Atletico weren't on there. And then Suarez was obviously sort of moaning about that. In the end, they came to an agreement. So I think in terms of a playing decision and in terms of needing to reduce the wage bill, I think it was the right decision. Relevant of what has happened, I think... I mean, I'm sure Liverpool fans know, I remember reading lots of articles about Suarez and how he's driven most when, you know, he needs to prove people wrong or when he's been doubted. And I think Suarez at Atletico last season was probably better than he would have been if he was at Barcelona, where perhaps after five, six years he was in a little bit of his, his comfort zone. Um, the, the difficult situation is obviously the Messi one and their, their close relationship. I think in terms, of, that's what made the decision so difficult. I think I think if he didn't have that relationship with Messi, I think the club would probably even have maybe sold him the year before, if they could have done. Um, but on the pitch, it was becoming sort of you know they were, Messi and Suarez were were delivering every week in a way you know they beat you know Huesca or or Abar or some of the lower teams and you know Messi and Suarez would both score. But when when the big games were coming around the. The fact that Barca had, you know, a 33-year-old Suarez and a 33-year-old Messi um, was starting to take its toll, and we saw sort of the glimpses of that in Rome, run in Liverpool. So I think it was the right time for Suarez to move, and Barca ended up looking a little bit silly because he scored the key goals for Atletico, but. That was down to Barca more than Suarez scoring goals for Atletico when you look at their season and how they did. And I don't think having Suarez would necessarily have made a difference. I think it was the right move. I think it was a good move for Suarez, a good move for Atletico. It was a move that Barca needed to make. But yeah, the way it was handled and all the all that sort of negativity around it um wasn't nice.
1: So Messi lost a strike partner and a, a great friend, as you said, there in, in Suarez. But in the summary, he's, he's got another one coming into the club in Sergio Aguero. We've also got Eric Garcia from Manchester City 2 and then most recently Memphis Depay, both on free transfers as well. Seems pretty good, good business given the, the situation the clubs are in and, and they look like three good signings for the club.
0: Yeah, I think Eric Garcia is a good signing. I think he's going to be a good centre-back. I think he's a good fit for Barca. He's been quite good for Spain in the Euros. I know he had a few dodgy performances or or was involved in some of those erratic Manchester City performances once they'd won the league and they were conceding sort of three goals in weird circumstances. But I think overall he's young, he he knows the club, which is always important at Barca. Uh, He knows the playing style. I think think it'd be a good sign-in. I'm not so sure about Aguero because obviously he's had the year without playing. I think it's an important sign-in for... For Messi, I think it's. Uh, I mean, Barca did need do need a need a box striker, but just it just seems strange to get rid of Suarez and then a year later go go for Aguero. I mean, I know they're different and they have they play slightly differently, but it seems a little bit strange if he's going to be playing every week, as I just explained with with Suarez and Messi having those sort of. I mean, him and Messi will be what thirty three and thirty four. It doesn't feel like uh, an attack that can sort of thrive necessarily in the modern game in terms of in terms of pressing but it's going to be interesting to see what happens now because Barca obviously have those three they've got Ansu Fati coming back from injury they've still got Coutinho they've still got Dembele they've still got Antoine Griezmann they've still got Martin Brathway who's obviously going to be the easiest one to to move on because of his because he doesn't have as big a name and because of his European championships with Denmark perhaps there'd be a few suitors for him and people more able to pay his wages but yeah they've got a lot of strikers and it's not clear what they're, what they're going to do or who's going to be the the, the front three. I guess, you, you know, obviously Messi. I mean, you'd imagine Ansu Fati, but you don't know how he's going to come back from his injury. Memphis Depay is obviously a, a direct request from Kuman so you'd imagine he's perhaps going to be there. But then Griezmann, Aguero, Dembele, these are players. I mean, Dembele's injured now, but these are all players that need to play. So they're, they're going to have to shift some of them. And I think in that sense, you know, you could see... I mean, Dambelli would have been the ideal one to go because he's into the last year of his contract. That four-month injury that he's picked up with France is a absolute nightmare for Barcelona now because they've got a player whose contract is expiring who can't play, so no one will buy. They can't even loan him or, or whatnot. So that's a tricky situation. And in terms of Griezmann, I think when you see them signing Aguero and and Memphis Depay, you, you think they'll probably be open to, to bids for Griezmann. I mean, they're not forcing him out. But if, you know, I've just seen this morning him linked with linked with Manchester City, I mean, I don't know, if, he's obviously a very different player to Kane, but in the story he was linked as a, a, another option to Kane, it'd obviously be a cheap option in terms of fee um, and you can see him fitting into a, a Guardiola side um, someone even suggested, I mean this is just a joke it's obviously complete speculation, I was talking about Liverpool the other day actually with an agent and just about if they need to renew their their front three and he suggested a mane Griezmann swap I mean, <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't think that's one that's going to work because Barca don't need more forwards. But, you know, I don't know if Liverpool would, would fancy Griezmann.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure Liverpool fans, if we suggested this, they would snap their hands off. Maybe not losing Mane, but I'm sure they'd, they'd love him as another option with Mane, Firmino, and, and Salah. Like a Griezmann, like every time I see him, wonderful footballer. Is he is he well loved by Barcelona supporters? And like I, I look, I never get the impression that he's a hero over there. But then I looks at his figures for last season, twenty goals again. But what's the kind of feeling about Griezmann? No fans
0: would be. I mean, like I say, no one's forcing him out or saying so, he has to go and people don't, it's not its not the level of Coutinho sort of in that second season that he had at the club. But, you know, people would, wouldn't wouldn't sort of be bothered if he did leave. Um, I think he's, he's he's done well. He's sacrificed himself a lot. I think in that sense, I make the comparison with Ivan Rakitic. If you see Ivan Rakitic when he came from Seville to Barcelona in Seville, he'd sort of had you know, licensed to be a sort of creative midfielder. He was, I remember, a game against Madrid when he did, like, a rainbow flick over over Pepe and, like, led a break, a severe beat, beat, beat Real Madrid. And then he came to Barcelona and he just completely sacrificed himself. And I think he spoke about it in lots of interviews, saying, if I have to run and do all this for for Neymar, Suarez and Messi to shine, then I'm happy to do that. And Griezmann's done that a little bit as well. The amount of defensive work he puts in and, and running and and tackles and just, just non-stop energy is... Is impressive but then I guess maybe that takes away from him he's doing so much in that regard that perhaps he's then not in the positions in attack I mean he still scored 20 goals like you said but the the feeling is that he doesn't contribute enough in the final third especially in the big games um, and that he doesn't quite fit into the same side as Lionel Messi because ideally he would be taking up sort of Messi's position sort of centre-right he's played a lot on the left sometimes as a false nine sometimes off i think we've seen his best performances with with france when he's played off olivier Giroud. i think that's when he's best just off a more of a target man so he's he's not really found his position at barcelona and even now after two seasons you're still not sure where where he would fit into that side um so if if he was to leave i don't think fans would be would be too disappointed
1: just one final one on transfers or a transfer that didn't happen. We were all expecting here on Merseyside that Junior and Alden, we knew he was leaving Liverpool, even though he was never official and everyone was expecting him to join Barcelona. Instead, he went to, to PSG. What happened there?
0: Yeah, it was the funny one, that one, because we actually got that story on the, I was on holiday day and got the message through saying that he was going to, to PSG. So my girlfriend was delighted. Obviously, I was like, we're going to have to do this story. Once we <laughs> Nothing spoke like it, to a couple that? of other people and got it confirmed. <laughs> It was it was a strange one because obviously his agents were here in Barcelona speaking to the club and everyone was like, three-year deal, agreed, he's going to sign for Barca, just pending, pending, etc etc just the final details. And I was speaking to, to people at the time when they were like, slow down, nothing at the moment. I was getting frustrated. I was like, these guys are just fobbing me off. I was like, everyone <laughs> else is reporting. It must be happening. Um, but yeah, it turned out they weren't fobbing me off because then a week later they sent this message saying, yeah, PSG. And they just explained that, you know, People all, I mean, Barca. I don't know what people are saying on the outside, but Barca fans will obviously say, you know, if you turn down Barca for PSG, it's just, it's just for the money. But it's obviously the money is is a big factor, especially for Vinyaldo. It was explained that you know he's someone who maybe you will know better than this than me, but apparently he has you know a big family who he who he looks after and who he sort of invests a lot of time and money in. So so money is obviously a factor for him, but also just in terms of PSG, you know, these these talks with Barca were like, you know. Barca were almost sort of just expecting him to come to the club. And it sounds like they were just saying, well, you're going to have to make an effort on your salary because we've got all these financial problems and this and that. And it, they weren't selling him the club. They were just imagining it was like a given. So, like, he, he obviously wanted to come to Barca. The idea of, you know, Barca is obviously carries a lot of weight, playing with Messi, certain things, the Spanish League. But then there were talks with PSG and Leonardo was like, you know, there was enthusiasm, there was excitement. It was like, we want you for this, we want you to do this. Pochettino phoned him. They were like... We can pay you this. So even though was the, the money was, was a big thing, the way they sold it and the enthusiasm, and it wasn't like, we need you to make this effort. We need you to do this if you want to come here. It was like, we want you to come here and we're going to make an effort for you to come here. Um, so I think that was a big big deciding factor for, for Vinyaldum and I mean, you, you can understand that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo
1: anyone listening to this podcast uh, will be clear that Barcelona's finances have been a problem for a long time now, certainly even before coronavirus hit. Just want to ask about this subject really because understandably like all clubs, however, like the, the, the coronavirus has a huge impact on what clubs can spend and what they can't spend. And maybe we shouldn't be surprised that the idea of a European Super League was pushed through during these really tough times. And I say pushed through because the reaction from supporters, certainly here in Liverpool and across England, meant it never really got off the ground. But am I right in saying, Sam, Barcelona haven't actually pulled out of the European Super League yet. They're still involved with it. Because I know Laporta, he's, he's, he's still speaking about it on record, isn't he? Yeah, yeah,
0: they're very much still involved. Um, Real Madrid and Juventus still pushing ahead, of, ahead with it. Perez and Laporta still backing it whenever they speak about it. Joanne Laporta... A couple of Sundays ago, Barca had their AGM where the, the socios, the club members, vote on vote on certain things. Um, one of the things on the agenda was the Super League. But in the end, Laporta didn't ask them to to vote on it because he said, you know, in a current form he admitted it didn't exist. But he was very clear, you know, this is something that they're, they're moving ahead. He basically turned into Florentino Perez for 20 minutes. <laughs> he went on this, this rant about how, you know, football needs saving and people are losing interest and things like that. Um so yeah, barcelona are very much moving ahead with it. I mean, at first they kind of hid behind this thing about, you know, well, we were always we we're involved, but you know, we had to make a late decision because obviously the new president came in and he didn't know he didn't want to miss the boat and you know, these eleven clubs were on board and he was like, What if Barcelona miss out? But with the condition that, you know, the socios would would always vote, but the longer time has gone on, the more we've realized that you know that's just a complete complete front they they're involved for the same reasons as Real Madrid and <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if in the end i mean I, to be honest i think the socios would vote for it because it's a very different feeling there's been a very different reaction here in spain and the way laporta would sell it and what he would ask the socios to do to vote on it. they would they would probably vote it through because they're already sort of accustomed to to this closed euroleague idea in basketball which laporta obviously compares it mm-hmm. to and says how good that's been for basketball and and the Barca fans would obviously, I could see enough socios voting it for it, for them to be be involved.
1: Yeah, very interesting. It's definitely cultural, isn't it? Because we've, we've seen certainly here in England that it was just never going to happen. It was, yeah, over the course of two days, we've not seen the likes of it for a long time. Real fan power to change it all. Uh, let's end on a positive, because this feels a bit, bit uh, like, we've obviously, Barcelona have got it tough at the moment. We've we've talked about their youngsters, though, throughout this podcast. I remember that Bayern Munich semi-final, and it's like, oh God, Barcelona, looking an aging team. There were some young players on the bench that night, but since they've emerged into the first team now, and, and Pedri's obviously the most notable one, is this a generation of players to get very excited about?
0: I don't know about very excited. I guess it's I guess only time will tell. I think only I guess one or two will come through. Um it's through necessity really they've had to go back to basics. And I think that's that's when bars are at their best as well, when the squad is filled out. So if we just ignore the pedries, but when the backup defender, you know, is someone like Oscar Mingueta who's mm-hmm. come through the through the Academy, through the B team, into the first team, I think he's the that's where the downfalls have been in recent years, when they've been spending forty million on Andre Gomez or thirty-five million on Paco Alcacer to come in and be backup midfielders and backup forwards. When they've got, they've always had these players coming through from the academy that could could do that role. I think that's been the downfall. So through necessity, now you know we've seen guys like Oscar Mingueza, Juan David defenders come into the team. In terms of talent, I don't think they're top, top, top talents, but in terms of complementing the defence when there's going to be Eric Garcia, obviously they probably need a centre-back because Pique's ageing, but I think they're good squad players to have around. In terms of talent, yeah, like you say, Pedri is someone, I mean, people always seem surprised that uh, that Pedri didn't come through the Barca Academy, given he seems like such a Barca fit. But obviously he only came in from Las Palmas last summer. And, you know, even last August when he was first coming for pre-season, there were talks like, what will they do with Pedri? I mean, it seems laughable now, but I mean, at first they were like, if the B team get promoted to the second division, maybe he'll play for the B team, maybe he can go on loan somewhere. And yeah, he's been absolutely incredible. And I think if people hadn't sort of realised how good he was during his season with, with Barcelona, everyone's woken up to him with the national team during Euro 2020, where he's probably been Spain's most consistent player. Um, he certainly doesn't play like an eighteen year old. I think every time I open Tweet Deck there's someone like Fabio Capello or or someone sort of praising him or, or talking a lot about him. And then the other one is obviously Ansu Fati, who has had a difficult season. He's not played since November when he got injured. He'd started the season really, really well. He was um, he was Barça's top scorer scorer when he got injured. Um he'd also broken into the Spain team. He scored a few goals for Spain, he was emerging as a really really good player for Spain. I think this Spain team would be better for him because he's such a I mean, in theory, he's a winger, but what he's what he's great as is he's instinctive in the box, and he's a great finisher. And you could almost, I mean, people have sort of compared him to Samuel Eto'o or someone like that in that sense. So, I mean, him and Pedri have both got the talent to, you know, be sort of, you know, top five players in the world for the next next ten years. Um, the the big doubt with Ant- not not the doubt with Ansu, but you know, this guy has had three operations now on his knee over the last sort of nine months since he got injured, and there's just been setback after setback in his recovery. So you wonder how an 18-year-old kid is going to come back from that, whether there's going to be you know, fear, whether he's going to be completely fit, whether his knee's always going to pro- be a problem. So you just have to hope, I guess. I mean, not even from a Barca point of view, just from a football point of view, that that won't, won't kill his career. And then the other one who broke into the team at the end of the season is Elish Moriba, who mm-hmm. came through with Ansu Fati. They've always played together. They're close friends. And he's sort of a more more sort of box-to-box midfielder, Um and, yeah, he's shown real talent as well. He's scored goals, set up goals. And the, the, the interesting thing about all these players is how, how well they all link with Messi. All three of them seem to have a special relationship with, with Messi on the pitch. And sometimes you watch Messi and you can see that he prefers to, you know, give the ball to certain players, Alba on the left, and there's sort of a reluctance to maybe give it to others. But with these three, he's, he's really sort of, you know, gelled with them really quickly, especially with, you know, with Pedri this season. Um, so yeah, they're the they're the three immediately for this season that, that, that Barca are going to be looking to, and obviously Eric Garcia coming back to the club in defence. And there are a few more coming through. There's there's a young left back. It's probably a bit too soon for him this season, but a guy called Alejandro Balde. There's an attacker called Coyalo, but I think it's probably when I mean we've spoken about all the attack attackers they already have. He can always also play as an attacking midfielder, but I think there's just too many bodies ahead of him. So perhaps a a league alone for him this season. He'd fit a club you know like a Vigo or a Villarreal. And then there's a few more sort of on the fringes in the B team, as um, a midfielder who's a bit deeper, a bit more Busquets called Nico Gonzalez. He's another one who's probably going to do preseason with the first team, and you know they do need someone to replace Busquets because he's he's still good in phases, he's still good at certain times. But as we've said with you know Messi and Suarez before, you know he's he's you know 32 coming up to 33 now, and his, his legs aren't going to last forever.
1: I know with Pedri, he's he's been linked with Liverpool in in the gossip columns and pages, and certainly from our end, I don't know if there's any substance in that at all, or whether it's just your typical summer talk, but... I wanted to ask: Could you comprehend Barcelona losing a, a top young player like like that to Liverpool or another European rival? Because it's not too long ago, it was on the, it, the the shoe was on the other foot. Really, Liverpool would be worried about losing a Suarez and Coutinho to a Barcelona to a Real Madrid. Given Barcelona's finances, is is that a worry, or is that is that just people just will not think about that losing young players to to another top team? I don't
0: think it is a worry, just because of the. The pull of Barcelona but I think there is I don't think it's completely out of the question there's the, 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 the three we've spoken about the three the three who would say let's say are special you know Ansu pedri and Elijah Moriba are all in negotiations over new contracts with Barca as well so it's, it's it's a strange position and there's not complete clarity over um Ansu, Ansu who's now represented by Jorge Mendez and, and pedri's contracts so in in theory their contracts both expire next summer in 2022 but they were announced with this you know optional two years um, but the the message coming from both sides is a bit different so i'm not sure if barca can exercise those options unilaterally in terms of or if the players can can veto them so so there is some some complications there and barca don't want to sell any of these guys but i mean we've spoken repeatedly about you know the financial problems not being able to get rid of players and it would only be able to come from a Premier League club. But if a Premier League club—I don't know—we're just completely speaking hypothetically. I fully expect Pedri to stay at Barcelona <laughs> for the next five years. But if Barça can't sell Griezmann, if Barça can't sell Coutinho, if they're stuck with this, I mean, getting rid of Pedri doesn't help the wage bill, but it could bring in a big, a big fee. If the, I mean, I don't know how bad the situation. I mean, we know it's bad. I don't know how bad it is. Whether it would be bad enough that they would have to consider, you know, a hundred million bid or, or or whatnot for Pedri, but. Like you say, it's not completely out of the question like it perhaps would have been, you know, in, in the past.
1: Yeah, it seems uh, it's never a dull moment covering Barcelona. Do you enjoy
0: it, though? Yeah, I do enjoy it. Like you say, there's never never a dull moment. I mean, whether, whether it's to do with the the games, you know, the comebacks, winning things, being good, being bad, or just, the, just everything that goes with the club and things that are going on, on and off the pitch. Like you say, just this year, we've had, you know, the elections of a new president. We've had the former president was arrested for his role in, in uh, the the Gate scandal, as has been known with, you know, leaking dodgy contracts, which have, you know, sort of been made below 200,000 euros to pass through internal controls. And people want to know what's happened to this money. And that money was as well being used for smear campaigns on social media against former players and presidents. And just yeah, it's just nonstop. I mean, just to go in the past, you know, there's been all the Neymar cases, all the dodgy sort of taxes and transfer fees involved in him coming to Barcelona, then PSG, then the Barça and Neymar arguing about signing bonuses, and obviously without even getting into to you know Messi and everyone wants to read about about Messi as we see on the reflected on the on the traffic for any Messi story on ESPN
1: of course. Well, Sam, it's been fascinating to listen to you as again like just, like the first time when we did this podcast. There, uh, Hopefully we'll speak again throughout the course of the season. Uh, you never know Liverpool and Barcelona could go head-to-head in the Champions League again, but no, thanks very much for your time mate.
0: No worries. Been a pleasure as always. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.